You are listening to Go Doc Yourself, your weekly documentary book club. Listen in while we two errands dissect our most recent documentary find. Sometimes weird, sometimes mainstream, but always entertaining. Grab a cup of coffee and let's clutch. Hi, and welcome to Go Doc Yourself. I'm Erin McCart. And I'm Erin McCourt. Welcome back. Week three of Black History Month. Mm-hmm. And this week, we're going to do Call Me Miss Cleo. Now, anyone who was alive in the 80s, 90s, 2000s, I would say all Gen Xers, most millennials, know who Miss Cleo is. I would think so. If not, then um, you need to talk to your parent about how <laughs> their parenting style went. It, it clearly something tragic happened in your life <laughs> that you weren't exposed to like extreme late night TV <laughs> yeah, infomercials. infomercials yeah <laughs> at three in the morning are you not up yeah. in the middle of the night come on now when you're like do I need to call her now uh, <laughs> I like, do you just full of doubt at that time of day yeah mm-hmm. so this is on HBO Max it was done in 2022 it's an hour and 31 minutes long it was directed by Celia Ariskovich and Jennifer Brea now, I am going to, at the very top, say there were a lot of names and a lot of people that they talked to in this documentary. I got most of them. I know there are some I probably missed because there were so many. I got a bunch too. So hopefully between the two of us, we can give due credit. Okay. Just at the beginning, we'll say that Miss Cleo was a phone-in psychic, right? She read tarot cards over the phone because they were tons of psychic networks. I mean, even Dionne Warwick was a big face of psychic networks for a while. And didn't get mentioned once in here. I was um, like, wow. Amazing. Right. You almost, yeah. I almost forgot in that time frame that she was a really famous singer before that. Like this was what <laughs> she was known for now. Right. I mean, talk about reinventing yourself. Also, a Dionne Warwick documentary just dropped on HBO that I'm going to have to watch. Yeah. Do you think yeah. that there was someone who was like, I was big into psychic lines back in the day. We have to cover all of this. <laughs> all of them. All yeah. the psychic. Like I barely got out of debt. Like this is why I'm still working now. Still in debt. Oh my God. You guys, when you find out how much these cost, it's crazy. Yeah. But I think it's interesting to talk about the prevalence of the call in like the, the chat line. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do have several that they reference here. There were dating ones. There were ones for betting, obviously. There were all kinds of crazy call-in lines. I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. I mean, that's what we use the Google for now, I guess. I don't know. Yes and no. There was something different about having that connection is what sure. they said. I don't, if I ever called the 1-900 number, I don't remember. I probably did and I probably got grounded. Because it was probably when I was at home still, and my parents saw the phone bill and flipped. But it was a way to connect with people, right? But you don't necessarily get over the internet the same way as talking to someone on the phone, right? Well, let's talk a little bit about what an infomercial is for the the kids who don't know. <laughs> they brought out some classics. They dusted off some classics to bring back to you. Thighmaster, I laughed out loud. Oh, the bedazzler. Oh, oh my God. So good. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Talk to live girls. 
I was like, oh yeah, that was one. I, it probably still is. I don't watch commercial television. I don't have cable. I don't have any of that. Right. So right. it probably still is. I will say that when I do watch commercial television, it's a weird channel with like home shows and shit. And so the commercials are always for catheters. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it just seems such a weird thing to have a commercial for. <laughs> Apparently it works for them though. Whatever. Have I been getting AARP mailers for five years? <laughs> yeah. Yes, I have. I just turned 45. So I think yep. that the targeting is <laughs> a little off. They're going for a wide range. Yeah. Yes, 100%. <laughs> also, Corey Feldman had a, had a call-in line, had a chat line. And I'm like, okay. Was it just the Feldman, though? Because it looked like it was Corey's plural. They just didn't show the Oh, hey. okay. Mm, you could talk no, to I, either I mean, it was Corey. Just, just a momentary, you know, little bit on the screen, again, marketed to me, mm-hmm. one Gen Xer. Um, <laughs> and I was like, oh, so, yeah, <laughs> it just makes me laugh so hard. <laughs> it slices, it dices. I'm telling you, those half hour infomercials. It yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. It really is. Some excellent, uh, good, bad TV watching, if you really want to see uh, the black and white thing where they're like this ever happened to you and they're like always like blowing their bangs up or whatever in frustration which I'm like yes they're like using a knife to try to get into a a carton of milk or something stupid (laughs) it's the most ridiculous and they're like oh look we have a little corkscrew that will just go right in and you're like or you could just fold it open like a normal human what is wrong with you people right (laughs) packaging engineers be damned oh we'll get around them (laughs) Listen, if you're a packaging engineer, I'm going to tell you right now with all the love in my heart that no one likes you. No one. I don't care what they say to your face. No one likes you. Well, I think it depends on who's paying you, right? I think it's the anti-theft people that are paying you, not the consumer at the end of this packaging journey. that's like trying to open their kids shit on Christmas morning. Mm -hmm. Like, that is the person you really should be listening to. Yeah. I shouldn't need a master's of engineering to get into a toy. Stop it. Okay. (laughs) So let's talk about these numbers, right? They have 1-800 and 1-900 numbers. Now, in theory, 1-800 numbers were free. And that's kind of how they got you because they'd be like, oh, it's free. You just called this number. And then they would kind of switch it over and start billing. So mm-hmm. 1-900s, right off the top, you know you're going to pay mm-hmm. from the minute they pick up the phone. It's a little sketchy how they would do it. And we had landlines. We didn't have cell phones. Or even when we had cell phones, it was astronomical to use them per minute. Much like 1-900 yep. numbers. So called from a landline and just talk to whomever if you want to talk about wrestling or talk about... <laughs> psychic stuff I think the psychic stuff was more therapy for people than anything yeah and I did appreciate that they talked to a lot of the people that worked for the line so Mm -hmm. I mean there's a lot of definite good perspective from phone psychics that were explaining how it worked on their end Mm -hmm. and so yeah pretty slick there are a lot of good people that are commentators throughout this Raven Simone is one of the very first ones that comes on screen, actor, director. Mm-hmm. She speaks about being 12 when Miss Cleo in particular came on the scene. Mm-hmm. 
And then she also discusses kind of the really saccharine 90s commercials, which is 100% the truth. So a big dose of nostalgia to watch this or this whole documentary. I almost called it an infomercial because that's the one now it's on my brain. But <laughs> nonetheless, Deborah Wilson is a comedian kind of known for Mad TV who did some parodies of Miss Cleo. So it's interesting to have her perspective now. Mm-hmm. And yeah, again, really hitting hard on what the infomercial was and kind of how that bridged between um, kind of the, how, well, kind of how Miss Cleo found her audience. Right. So right. it was really fun to watch. Yeah. We talked to Luann Lebon for a little bit. She was a friend of Cleo's and they talk about a documentary that she was in, in 2012 called hotline. I just want you to know that I did find it and I did watch it. Really? It's on Tubi. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's really good. And she's just got clips in there because it talks about all sorts of hotlines, like suicide hotlines, hotlines oh, okay, for LGBTQ great. and stuff. Like. Love it's just that. Tons. Homework hotlines. Can you imagine calling someone asking for help on a math problem? I think I'm going to make my kids do that from now on. Quit talking to me. Go call these people. Anyway. Do you think it took just as long to explain the story problem as to get the solution? Probably, yeah. Agreed. Luann had talked about that going on this documentary, the goal was that people would see the real Miss Cleo and realize that she was the real deal, right? Because there's a lot of skepticism involved. And so they hope that she would see that she's real. And they do show clips from it where she's talking. She says she's a trained priestess. She has different ways to divine information. She communes with those on the other side. She doesn't think of herself as a medium because it's a lot bigger than that. Mm -hmm. But still, she gets information from spirits. She does cards. She does all sorts of things. So well-rounded mystic, if you will. Really, a lot of channeling from the other side coming through, right? Because they do discuss that she's always getting information. It's not just sort of when she opens up and asks for it. Mm-hmm. How annoying would that be? Oh, so you would probably most people would go crazy. If you I would just think have so. People barking in your brain all the time, or you would get diagnosed as being schizophrenic because they would assume they're auditory hallucinations. Hallucinations, even that's a word. That's the one. Um, <laughs> or whatever, you know, you would be. Yeah, admitted to some hospital. Right, because it's abnormal and that makes people uncomfortable. So obviously mm-hmm. there would be something wrong with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, or you would just want medicine to shut them up. I don't know, <laughs> whatever. Unfortunately, yes. They do talk a lot about, in, in the clips in the documentary that you're mentioning, Hotline, seem to be somewhat of in contrast with what Miss Cleo is like stage presence-wise. Mm-hmm. She's very energetic. She's very charismatic, extremely engaging. I did like the part where they talked about one of the hosts of the PRN network kind of, I don't know, pieced out or whatever, and they were looking for somebody else. And it took a little while before they landed on Cleo, but before she was like, look, can you just put me in front of the camera, please? They had some like old white lady look like she was (laughs) from Boca and it's like just not cutting it for people. Yeah. But the reason that they think that Cleo was so engaging was she was using an accent. There's a lot of discussion about how her accent made her more palatable or something as somebody who was 
working with spirits. Like there's a whole dynamic there mm-hmm. that um, a lady named Andrea Navis. Mm-hmm. She's an author and a scholar of the Caribbean diaspora. Diaspora. And kind of, yeah. Okay. And so she's talking about that this is obviously an appropriated accent mm-hmm. because Andrea herself is Jamaican and she says anybody from Jamaica would be calling bullshit on this. Mm-hmm. But I was like, that's interesting. So they're talking a lot about there's a sense of other for. Yes. For black people. Right. Mm-hmm. Just in, in like Caribbean seems to be a bit of a, a concentrator, a focuser for that because mm-hmm. it's different. It's and got voodoo. It's, it's got. Yes. Yep. There's like a lot of incorrect assumptions about people that are from there. And so the accent played into some of those. Yeah. I think it was Jasmine Scott who we're going to talk about in a minute. Oh but yeah, yeah. She had worked with Miss Cleo in like the early nineties in Seattle, but towards the end of the documentary, she had discussed how she believes that white people are really, listen, we're really stupid. That's not what she said. She said, it's easy for us to look at a Brown person and say, Oh, clearly she's from Jamaica. She's from Africa. It's easy for us to want to believe that because we would see black people as other in this as to that exotic nature of them. Whereas yes. if Miss Cleo had been surrounded by black people, she would not have been able to do this character very well and get away with it, so to speak. Right. Right. And so it even seems to cause people to spend more money. Mm-hmm. Like that's how that's the marketing of it. Like this is how it ended up being an asset for the people who are running the Psychic Readers Network. I think I said PRN earlier, but I didn't explain what that was. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of a good, I don't know, gimmick for them. I don't know. It just really worked for them. So I think they kind of encouraged that in her, at least when she was on stage. Although there's a couple people that say the whole time that they knew Miss Cleo, she spoke that way. So it's not necessarily just a character. Yeah. It's, it's interesting towards the end where they kind of come up with that. Yes. Yeah. 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 But yeah, I do like that in the documentary hotline, she is very calm and subdued compared to the in theory character that they really pushed her to play for PRN and really be more, be more, be more because that was what they wanted to see. So you mentioned that she had a bit of a theater background because she was Mm -hmm. at Langston Hughes Mm -hmm. when she was in Seattle and she was known by a different name then. Mm -hmm. And that's great. And I wonder, you know, when you're talking about she's coming across really differently than she's coming across in infomercials, if that's a little bit of training that's happening there, like we're kind of seeing a little bit of that because she was like writing plays and doing all Mm -hmm. that kind of crazy shit. Yeah. Which indicates that she was really talented. Yeah, she seemed to be. And that's something that several people have mentioned, that she was very smart and very talented and kind of everything that she did. Like I said, Jasmine Scott was the director of programs and partnerships at Langston Hughes. And Mm -hmm. we talked to Steve Sneed. Sorry, I don't mean to giggle, but that sounds like a Dr. Seuss name. But absolutely. (laughs) A snood, a sneed, whatever. <laughs> right. Um, he's the executive director at Langston Hughes. And, you know, they both remember working with Miss Cleo, who at the time went by the name Ray, which was short for Uray. 
And she, like you said, she wrote, she directed, she kind of produced all of these plays or not all of their plays. They, she had some plays that they would pick up and support and she would put on there. Right. And all was going well until she got some financial backing and then absconded with it. Yeah, that's what they were saying. Like, so because she was writing, directing, and she was the owner in theory of that play, they -hmm. gave her the money and she was meant to distribute it to the actors, to the backstage people, props, whatever. She neglected to do so. And it seemed like there were a lot of excuses. And then all of a sudden she was gone. She just left. That's not good. It's not. They also mentioned that she was not using a Jamaican accent at this time. Correct. She was not. So one of the other things they did talk about, Maxie Jamal, who was an actress, she had mentioned how it was just talking to Ray, like in the middle of a conversation, she could change her character completely and become someone else in the middle of a conversation. That takes so much skill and just it, it probably it was an innate thing to her. It had to be somewhat natural for it to be that easy, but that's an incredible talent that it seems like she might've used later in life. Yeah. I think it all kind of falls together. I I thought this was a fascinating piece of her background story because it doesn't seem to be extremely clear Mm -hmm. to people who knew her from really in essence, the Miss Cleo days and the psychic hotline days. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then after that, I guess, there seemed to have been a lot of piecing together of little tidbits that they picked up over time. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like she didn't have a background or if it's a carefully crafted background, but obviously here they were able to find some beats about her. (laughs) So, well, it is really interesting. Even in the documentary, the, the information about her background is very thin, right? Because like, her friends after Miss Cleo would talk about, well, we could all kind of piece together a little bit of it, mm-hmm. but we don't have the whole story. And how much of what she said to any of them was true? They don't know. And in reality, they didn't care. They loved her for her and it didn't matter. And I really love that, but I do too. She was an integral part of what they were doing on the psychic network. Like that she had the highest ratings ever. And so kind of think about that benefited these people who were, you know, kind of working in the background or on the calls themselves, which is kind of interesting, right? Yeah. So one of her coworkers, Tim, had said it was around 98, 99, and she Mm -hmm. was working kind of behind the scenes and he was working behind the scenes and they had lost their host, like you said, who everyone really liked. They brought in some white woman who... One, did not look the part. But two, also she was speaking nonsense. Like she was turning cards and just talking shit. Like you should have at least some kind of idea what the cards mean or something. Yeah. Something cohesive, right? I mean, there is a process to reading tarot cards. Right. Right. You can't, <laughs> I would say you can't just make it up, but in reality, a lot of people do. But you know what I mean. I do. And Cleo went to the network. She's like, this is horrible please make her stop. And they're like, okay, can you just come back and set the deck real quick? And so she did that. And I think it still was just horrible, but they're like, why don't you do the commercial? And she Mm -hmm. was like, okay, but don't give me a script. Let me just go out there and let me just do it. Let me do my thing. Let me read the cards. Let me take a call. Let me just do it. 
And so she did this commercial for what she said later for $1,750. And the psychic readers network just exploded after that. Like they made (laughs) millions and millions of dollars after that commercial. Right. Yeah. It's crazy. But like, I guess I don't think it's a stretch to hire professional actors no. to do your commercials. <laughs> right. But did, but they probably didn't know that she was a professional actor. Right. I mean, it's possible, but mm-hmm. I'm just, I just think it's really funny. I don't know where these other hosts came from or how they had the right look or appeal okay. or whatever. I know you said hosts, but I heard hoes. Where these other hoes came from? <laughs> it's these hoes. <laughs> I'm sure they're lovely. I'm sure they're fine. Not as engaging as our, our dear Cleo, but no. nonetheless. Uh, but I think it's really funny. Like, what a shocker that somebody had a lot of theater experience was good on camera. I, I'm surprised. Let me tell you. <laughs> right. But she was engaging. And that's something that Deborah had talked about. She said she didn't seem to care whether you called her or not. Right. It wasn't about call. And although she did say, call me now all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that she really cared that you called. You could call or not. She has the answers if you want them. But you don't have to get them if you don't need. You know what I mean? It was really all up to you. And that made you feel less pressure and more voluntary in calling. Right. It was, she had confidence that if you called, you would be glad you called. But Mm -hmm. if you weren't, didn't want to, then fuck off, basically. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Just fuck right off. Right? So it's not like pandering, I guess. I mean, like, she didn't have that, like, um, that kind of feel to her. Like, I think that people were comfortable with that. Yeah. Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. So what's interesting is now we we do talk to several of the PRN psychics. So Bennett Madison is one of them. By the way, I love that name, Bennett. I just feel like he should be living in a penthouse somewhere. I'm sure he probably feels the same way. Ascots every day. Yes. (laughs) But he he had a good point. He's like, Miss Cleo cannot possibly take everyone's phone calls, right? And people would call specifically to talk to her. And they're like, oh, yeah, totally. Oh, wait, she just went out to lunch. And then they would talk to her. He did it for a summer. Um, There was... Someone named Spiritualist Julie. Oh boy. Yeah, I got that too. Mm-hmm. She called an ad that she saw in like the newspaper and they hired her on the spot. So not a whole lot of vetting involved with this. Not like, could you tell me a quick snippet of my future first? Nothing. <laughs> Reminds me of the scene in Ghostbusters when they're trying to figure out if people have psychic ability and it's like, I see three wavy lines. <laughs> you know what I mean? So funny. None of that was happening here. Like basically no. you were warm body. So it's very similar for Barbara Merlot mm-hmm. and Eileen DeWurst. Yeah. Yeah. So very little screening there. They just basically showed up and they were like, you got it. So maybe they had really good voices. Maybe that's what they were basing it on more than anything. Cause if you call oh, or listen nice. to them okay. and they had good voices, I don't know. I mean, I wish they would have included that. I like that. You're like, what would have set them apart? We don't know. So, I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. So they talked about Bennett talks about here's how it works. So they could work. Some of them worked in an office. A lot of them were able to work from home. They had these, they had landlines and they would call into a number and like type in whatever to get into the system. And they're like, okay, you're set up. And then they would start routing calls to your phone. I have a stupid question possibly. 
does this block your phone from taking any personal calls during that time? Just like if you're on, on call for an hour, any phone call that comes through is definitely going to be from this thing. I mean, maybe you had a separate landline for this. No, because most of the people probably didn't have money for that. Okay. I mean, it sounds like they were working for a pittance, but I hadn't thought of that. What's the, what a great question. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how it works. I assumed it was like, okay, we take over your phone for now. And so every call for this amount of time is just for this. And then it goes back to your phone. And maybe if someone else were to call, it would be like a busy signal. I mean, I don't know if they didn't cover that, but it's a really great question. I, yeah, I hadn't really thought about it. I was thinking about the people that were working at the office. Was it like a bank of phones like it is on a telethon? <laughs> I see <laughs> what I so. mean. Like, that's what I was wondering. Well, and it's not like you had the same kind of technology with like noise blocking or anything. So you just would hear everything that everyone was saying all the time. It'd be chaos. Ugh. But they talked about how they're trying to keep the people on the phone as long as possible. If you could keep them on for 18 minutes or more, then you go up and like the longer you can keep them on, the higher you go in the rankings. And so more calls get routed to you. Yes. Okay. So you're punished for good behavior. Well, well, but you get paid per call per minute. So you would want those calls, right? Yeah. But didn't they also say that, I think Cleo mentioned that people are working for 12 cents a minute or up to 24 if you were any yeah. good at all. So, I mean, this is like really low. I mean, it's crazy. Think about this. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I had written it down. It was something they had said, yeah, like 12 to 24 cents or something. And so if there was one call that someone spent, like it was like a half an hour. So they spent $150 on this call. So it's four ninety nine a minute. So it's $150 for the call. Whereas the person made like between three and $7, the person on the phone. Yeah. And I'm like that. That's a big discrepancy, isn't it? Well, think too. So there's a little bit of a hook here that says your first three minutes are free. So I would think as a caller, you're like, I'm going to call and it's going to be like, you know, I'll get my answer in three minutes or five minutes and only Leave have that to pay bitch 10 bucks. And go on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> They're not thinking about the fact that this is like, uh, got some interesting psychology going on. I also like the fact that Julie, Barbara, Barbara, and Aline, we're talking about, you're supposed to get names. Like you're supposed to record people's names and their addresses so they can be on a mailer. <laughs> like, fuck you guys. That's terrible. Oh so, God. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what you would get in the first three minutes. You would only get your right. name and address out. And then it starts at like $5 a minute. Right. And there's no training here. This is just a script. So I assume it's sort of like what happens if you work for collections. <laughs> it's just all scripted. Yeah. And then there were two real types of calls that almost everybody made. It was, they called them money or honey. So mm -hmm. yeah. Which I'm like, yes. I mean, wouldn't we all like to have a little bit more information about relationships and our finances? Right. Oh, good times. But they talk about it being one like therapy, but also it's like a confessional booth. You have the anonymity there. And so people will tell you everything crazy. I don't think it'd be that difficult to be psychic if someone's spewing everything out to you. You just have to tell them what they want to hear because you know what they want to hear. Absolutely. But even Bennett talks about at some point, if people are calling and they're like, I'm about to be kicked out of my apartment, here they are on these really expensive phone calls. And you're like, oh, I, 
I see a fortune, like a windfall coming in your immediate future. Mm -hmm. And so you're playing on people's insecurities and fears. And like a lot of the psychics in here definitely felt slimy about doing this. They were not excited about what they were doing. Yeah. I mean, Bennett said he only did it for a summer. I assume that's because he had to go and like wash his soul off after. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It's just a holy water bath. That's all you need. Oh my God. Yes. I like how Raven Simone had talked about, you know that you've made it big when people start doing parodies of you. Mm -hmm. And so they showed the Mad TV parody, which I liked. Deborah was like, listen, we weren't really parodying her, Cleo, as much as we were the people calling in. They were doing, they were having more fun with that side of it, which I appreciate. Right, right. But they did show a bit of the Dave Chappelle skit of the educated guest line. (laughs) (laughs) I agree too. It's so funny. (laughs) I fucking love Dave Chappelle. I do too. God. Uh, So yeah, there were a lot of Saturday Night Live. Everyone had parodies of this woman. And a lot of them were stuff like, was she working on September 10th? (laughs) You know? (laughs) Because I think that's what a lot of skeptics would say is like, look, if you have these powers and you're not using them outside of like, making money mm-hmm. yeah i mean like that's sort of sketch right yeah 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 that's why you also don't see religious healers in hospitals helping either just saying uh, yeah no that's another good point mm. so our friend andrea the author kind of talks about cleo because there wasn't a lot of representation and that's a lot of things that we have mentioned in the past like there's just not a lot of reference representation of black women And especially Jamaican black women. So she said, even though, you know, there were some problems, Andrea was still pleased to see some of her success. So I thought that was kind of funny to, yeah, kind of talk a little bit about that. Right. Well, and I like how she's like, why is she impersonating a Jamaican? That just seemed bizarre. But she realized that she was tapping into what people believe psychics were supposed to look like. The idea that black bodies have these fantastical capabilities and they're just it's that otherworldness that white people believe that they have so she just fed it and yeah. i don't blame her i wish she made more money off of it but yeah right i mean she's yeah i, I agree it kind of reminded me of what we talked about in one of the other doc uh, the one about the black horror movies like one of the tropes in there there's something in there about that. And it's just, I mean, not great to think about, but I understand why she was doing it. Right. Well, yeah. and she also talked about tapping into the mammy figure, which was very nurturing and, you know, comforting. And so that's what people want. If you're coming for advice or psychic readings, you want someone to be comforting and they're for you. So they really played up a lot of those tropes. We do talk to Dim and several other of her friends who, as I said before, they talked about the backstory for Cleo. Like they didn't really have a lot of backstory. Mm-hmm. So they kind of pieced together some of it. She was, she told one person she was brought to America when she was very young from Jamaica. Um, she told Luann her mother brought her to the States and gave her away to a Jamaican couple who had taken in other kids from Jamaica. She had like eight or nine brothers and sisters adoptive. Mm-hmm. She talked about how awkward she was in school. She was taller than the other classmates. There weren't a lot of other black people, much less black girls in these schools that she went to. And so she suffered 
because of how she looked and because of how she sounded. Mm -hmm. But again, no one knows what is true about that and what isn't. I don't doubt that she suffered growing up. I think that's probably something we can all agree on. Right. I mean, people with great empathy tend to have some pain in their past. And I don't think anybody's just kind of um, coming at the fact that Cleo did express a lot of empathy for people. So, yeah, I think we just don't really understand what the pain was. Yep. Jasmine talked about how she remembers watching TV late one night. And all of a sudden she hears the voice of this character because Miss Cleo was actually a character in a play that she had written, that Ray had written. So this was a familiar voice when Jasmine heard it and looked up and saw her there. And she was like, oh shit, yo. I can't imagine how surreal that would have been. Like to be like, am I hallucinating right now? I mean, she made it work. Yeah. I mean, she really did. We kind of move on to Barbara, Julie, Aline talking about, People were calling them over and over. Again, it's $5 a minute. These are people that are really expressing a lot of um, vulnerability because they're depressed. They have a lot of anxiety. Like these are, you're not like Mm -hmm. calling oftentimes for funsies. It seems to be a little bit more high stakes for folks, which is kind of scary. And yeah, that these psychics themselves are not bad people. Like, even though they're part of a system that's taking advantage of people, like they recognized it and we're not super comfortable with it. And I think that comes through a little bit later when we talk about some of the other things we're going to get into. Right. Yeah. They Mm -hmm. talk about how the company started having legal troubles. So the hotlines were preying on people. They had a little disclaimer at the bottom that, that said, you know, first three minutes free. And then four 99 after that for a minute after that. And then, on the, on the side in the end, it said for entertainment purposes only. So they assumed that that was their disclaimer and they were free and clear from any ramifications. I'd be really interested to understand who gave them that advice. Or maybe it was just something that people thought that was the truth. Like, like a lot of people believe if, if you ask a cop, if they're a cop, they have to tell you, and you know, (laughs) that's not fucking true. They can lie about whatever they want. But people have it in their brain that if I if I ask you that, you have to tell me. And it could be the same thing. Like, if we put this out there, it's we're fine. It's Dave Ehrenberg, who is the attorney for the state of Florida. And they are the ones who bring one of the first lawsuits, or like, at least the one they focus on in this documentary the most. Mm-hmm. So they're suing Cleo and the Psychic Readers Network over the supposed free call bit. Like, that's the part that's really getting them in trouble. I think it's really interesting that... There's all kinds of billing problems, like people who never called are getting billed and then they're going to collections and it's really kind of a nightmare if you end up on their list. It sounds like what they're doing is getting addresses, like the phone number, the names and addresses that from people who called in or some people who had never called, they somehow get addresses. But that's, I mean, there's the phone book. You could just use that, I guess. But they were sending out letters. You're right. Like, so let's say a kid who was underage called, well, then they would call the phone company and get it taken off because the kid obviously is not liable for this. But even though it's taken off the phone bill, because that's where the charge comes from, the Psychic Readers Network would send you a collections bill. Like Mm -hmm. you still owe them. And then yes, if you didn't pay, it was very aggressive collections. And they, they have since put laws in place 
to try to prevent collections from getting so aggressive. Even if you truly do owe that bill, you should not be threatened. And there are laws in place now. But back then there weren't. They could say and do pretty much whatever they wanted to try to get this money. And it's fucking terrifying. I don't know if you've ever had collections call you. It's terrifying. Right. And those more aggressive tactics are more likely to get them paid, too. Mm -hmm. So that's, yeah. Yeah. Whether you owe it or not, you're just afraid enough to pay it if you have the money. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's an interesting scam. So... I guess Cleo lands in hot water specifically with the state of Florida because in one of the cases, there's a signature of hers on a collections letter. What do you want to bet they had a stamp with her signature on and just stamped it? <laughs> I mean, they show something like that. And you're like, do you think she's like, she's got her stack of autograph things and like somebody just <laughs> snuck this letter in there like she wouldn't notice? <laughs> Yeah, she's the one coming directly for you. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Just... Well, I mean, she knows where you are. She's fucking psychic. <laughs> and if you haven't called yet, she knows you will. And that's what you're being billed for. So, <laughs> Right? She knows that you got a raise, fucker. <laughs> it's fucking crazy, man. I do like that Barbara testifies against PRN. She was one of their employees, one of their psychic yeah. readers, if you will. And she was like, nah, they're sketchy as hell. Sketchy. I mean, I think as, as stuff starts to, like, come out, I, I would assume all the psychics would be like, um, I don't want to be included in this bullshit. I want my perspective also to be defended. Mm -hmm. So, Right. So Seattle 2002, um, there's a journalist. Her name is Dee Parvaz. Mm -hmm. She kind of finds out about the Cleo story through a friend of hers, right? So like, hey. This might be right up your alley, which mm -hmm. I can totally identify with because that is exactly how we find <laughs> tons of the stuff that we like to do. Because people are like, this is weird. You guys should talk about it. So she kind of is able to find, being in Seattle, that Cleo was also in Seattle in the 90s. Yeah. So she just starts calling people and asking questions, right? Cleo had presented herself as someone who had graduated with degrees in, I think, theater theatrical arts of some sort from a mm -hmm. college in Southern California. So she starts calling this college and she doesn't know Miss Cleo's real name, but she has several aliases for her and calls the college and is asking like, Hey, any of these people registered ever? And they're like, no, absolutely not. And I want to think that this probably took some time. They had to go through filing cabinets. They had to go through, I mean, this is old school, right? We're not, <laughs> couldn't just, Look in a right. We haven't we haven't converted all the way over to a digital filing system. Yeah, no. No. Right. There was a card catalog of some sort going on. <laughs> <laughs> um, so our friend Dave, the attorney, is able to get Cleo's birth certificate from a private investigator. I think the private investigator kind of came around and said, Woo, look what I have. <laughs> right. Right. So it kind of shows that she was born in Los Angeles to boring American parents. So her exoticism here is really called into question. Mm -hmm. She is deposed, but she is very vague in the deposition about what her history is and what her background is. And I found that that was interesting that she was just like, I'm not admitting nothing. <laughs> right. <laughs> Stick to it, girl. Her attorney, Bill Cohn, 
had said, well, she's Jamaican and from Jamaica in the same sense that anyone with Jamaican heritage is. So even if it was like her grandparents are from Jamaica, she's still mm-hmm. Jamaican. It's a it's a neat uh, tactic, I guess. I Right. So I did like the fact that Andrea, who seems to be just, I don't know, it's such interesting perspective, but mm-hmm. she's talking about paperwork to prove your identity is a real Western thing. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> like, right. In the black community, it's a little bit different. Like you have the ability to, to choose some things for yourself rather mm-hmm. than be told that it's printed here and you will be in conform to this. And I'm like, <laughs> that does sound like some Western bullshit. Yeah, so, it does. Yeah. But the simpler explanation is that, this was a character, a character that she created and a character that she played for a very large part of her life. There are talks from her friends that she had other personalities too, which came Mm -hmm. out. One of them was Max, who was a male personality who came out when Cleo needed to rest. And I don't know if he was just like a white man living in her body saying, listen, bitches, we need to just stop it now. And all the spirits went away and she was able to rest. But Lou had said that her entire person would change. Her voice would change. Her demeanor would change. Her gait when she walked would change. It was a completely different person, Mm -hmm. which would probably be terrifying to see for the first time, I would think. Yeah. But again, I point back to you. Anybody who's ever seen Sybil would be able to understand what people are looking like what you need to play if you are doing this for show. Yeah. Grimier was another personality. She Mm -hmm. was a wise old woman who spoke in metaphors. That's the personality I want to take on just random metaphors. And they talk about, it's possible that with her history which she had that talked, we don't know. That we don't know. But there's something she talked about wanting to commit suicide when she was seven. Um, she had told someone that she was molested when she was very young. So she, her house was not a safe place for her. And so this might have been, this might have been a character that she took on to survive. Right? If you leave the other one that you feel like is weaker and was abused behind, you can take on another personality by choice or not. I don't know. I'm not a psychiatrist. But it seems like a survival mechanism that hopefully seemed to work for her and she was able to move in a different direction, right? And I do want to say that there was a time when multiple personalities was a lot more accepted than it is now. Right. So I'm not going to say whether or not it was true, but I think it was really a thing for a while. And this might have fallen in maybe at the tail end of some of that. I think so. You're right. Late, I feel like late 80s, early 90s, it was a big to-do. Although Sybil was like, it was like the 70s, wasn't it, when Sybil came out? Well, I think, yeah, when the book came out and then the movie came out. You know what I mean? So, yeah. But yeah, this was like a huge thing. Um, please, if you're interested in that, go watch or watch. Go listen to You're Wrong About, the podcast. They have a great episode about this Mm -hmm. so um yeah kind of interesting so yeah who's to say really but I think she was convincing right and at what point are you no longer lying because it's become who you are right I'm not saying she's from Jamaica but this is the person she's been for so long that that's who she is to herself even right right she's created this reality yeah sure absolutely 
I think it was a, a true reality for her as well as the people who she was friends with later in life. Right. And I mean, that's, that's There's a coolness going on there that you get to choose who you want to be. I don't hate that. Right. I mean, most of us are not called into the public stage like this. So it's a little bit. Right. Yeah. Right. So I think maybe that's one of the things I like about moving so much. I've moved around and when you make a big move across country, you can become whoever you want to be to a certain extent, right? You mean you are who you are inside, but they don't know what you did in middle school that you were made fun of for 10 years or whatever. They don't know those things. You can be a cooler person. Right. We talked to a guy named Gerald Wald, who is an investigator for the, I guess he's a receiver for the federal trade commission. And he's investigating the entities that are promoting um, the psychic hotline. Mm -hmm. And he's then to report back the findings. So he's a bit of a investigator kind of taking a look at some of the financials and things like that. Mm-hmm. He reports that he spent quite a bit of time with Cleo and went to her house and got to take a look at her shitty contract. Yeah. And it sort of comes out that she doesn't have the rights to her own image. So they really were using her, leveraging her in a way that she had very little control over. And I think that was really enlightening to the people that were working on this case and then mm-hmm. sort of everybody else downstream from them, too. So the producers and directors really influencing her screen, um, her persona when she was on screen. Mm -hmm. Well, she also didn't benefit from it. She made very little money from it. So she had nothing to gain. Yeah. So this actually prompts attorney Dave from Florida to drop her from the lawsuit. And then they Mm -hmm. really started to pursue the PRN owners who are Stephen Feeder and Peter Stoltz. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, they seem like, you know, good Americans. They just care about making money at any cost. It doesn't matter who they hurt along the way, as long as they get in that money, money, money. They do say that uh, our documentary producers, directors did reach out to those two for comment Mm -hmm. on this documentary, but they don't really receive anything other than some stuff from their legal team. So, I mean, I have it all written down. Mm Mm-hmm. In any negotiations regarding compensation, Ms. Harris was represented by counsel or advisors that she independently retra- uh, retained other than portraying her character. Ms. Harris had no involvement in the affairs of PRN. This is very lawyery. It is. It is. And well, I mean, and it doesn't really say anything about them being shady as fuck, but they do kind of clear her from, listen, she was not part of this. So I yeah. appreciate that, right? Yeah, I did too. Um, so it's not that they didn't say anything, but it's sort of, it's not juicy. Yeah, it's very legalese, I guess. They saw what was coming down the line. They sure did. Being that they had hundreds of psychics working for them. <laughs> so they settled. They settled with the government. And that agreement was they would shut down the business cancel half a billion dollars of bills to consumers. That's just what was outstanding. And they would pay a $5 million fine. $5 million when they probably made billions over the a few years off of people. Well, Gerald was saying that the scale of the operation was enormous and they had all these gig workers. All over the country. Folks on the phones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and they were incentivized to take advantage of people. So, they had people in almost every state. 
So this $5 million that they were asked to pay was really just a slap on the wrist because there's an estimate that they made a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. And then they served no jail time. Of course they didn't. So. No, it sounds like they got arrested at one point in time in one state, like Missouri or something, and then they were mm-hmm. bailed out and back in Florida by dinner time, you know? So mm-hmm. they were not held responsible for anything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people have to take responsibility for themselves if they made these calls knowing what it was going to cost them. I get that. And I'm not trying to say that they didn't do that. But also, this was predatory. It's extremely predatory. Right. If your whole goal was to keep people on the phone, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So it's just not a, it's just not a good look. So they had terrible press after this. And of course, Miss Cleo is estranged. They don't have her to draw people in anymore. Mm-hmm. So I think the business failed sometime yeah. after this. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, what's interesting is I think that they really publicized her being arrested, not arrested, being sued, being part of this, but they didn't really publicize that she was released from that and that she was Mm -hmm. determined to not have any part of it. And so she was still kind of the scapegoat for it even later because people didn't see the rest of it play out. What are you talking about? Are you saying that there were maligned women of the (laughs) nineties and 2000s? No, I I mean, mean, yeah, (laughs) it's just not as good of a story that the psychic lady was maybe not so involved in this. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So some things I want to, I want to focus on now. So Ms. Cleo seemed to have a, a life before PRN, during PRN and after. So after the uh, lawsuit, even once it was dropped, she clearly, you know, you can't go anywhere without people seeing you. They know your voice. So she was kind of a recluse for several years, mm-hmm. but then she started to come out a little bit. And she made new friends. So I feel like these friends that she had later in life, some of them were from the PRN still. It seemed to really be a good group. She seemed to thrive personally later in life. Right? Right. She was definitely hurt by the fallout of this. Mm-hmm. But some of her friends were able to go and find her and say, come out. Mm-hmm. Come over to, um, there's somebody named Andy. Mm-hmm. And Andy Rucker, I believe she was a makeup artist that they kind of, that's how they found each other in the world. Mm -hmm. But come out, come to Andy's house. We're going to do these Sunday barbecues, which ended up being a thing that was pretty common. They did it all the time. Mm -hmm. Cleo was the godmother of two of Andy's sons, and they have very fond memories of her. Yep. And yeah, so, I mean, it was just sort of a people went and they were like, stop it right now, come out, you know, be with us. And then, yeah, she kind of introduced herself back into the world. It was really sweet. Yeah. And she, so she started going to Mother Earth, which is the local LGBTQ friendly coffee shop, which is owned by Patty. Love that. Love it. And she volunteered to help get pride stuff going down in Broward County. And she was really good at this activism thing. She knew Mm -hmm. how to draw people in. She had a charisma about her that people wanted to follow her. So use it for good. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Matt, one of her godsons had talked about coming out and he came out at about the age of 16 and Cleo decided, well, if he's brave enough to do it, so am I. And so she came out later in life. Yeah. I love that for her. Yeah, me too. 
there is a person named Matt Sheridan who had formerly been Marianne Sheridan and had been part of a couple with Miss Cleo. So mm-hmm. he talks about her being an amazing cook, which is super fun. I love that. I do too. And, you know, they ended up splitting up because Cleo really wanted to be out a little bit. I mean, like, be out amongst the people. And mm-hmm. Matt was maybe a little bit more of a homebody. And sometimes that doesn't really work out. Right. Especially if Cleo had been a reclusive for several years and right. she was kind of finding her voice again. I can imagine that she was like, fuck off, I'm going partying or whatever. Wait, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So, mm-hmm. you know, they, they did not end up together in the long term, I don't think. But then we found out that Luann was maybe the love of Cleo's life. And I think that's so sweet. So, yeah. Oh, and their story is so <laughs> sweet. Lou had just come out at like the age of 60 or something. Yeah. And how brave. Jesus. Right? Yeah. Oh, I can't yeah. even. I love it. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine. And Lou just happened to be going to the coffee shop, saw Patty, the owner, talking to this amazingly beautiful woman. And she was like, I loved her the minute I saw her and Patty introduced them. And then they sat down and talked for hours and laughed and uh, they just, they seem like they loved each other so much. I mean, from Mm -hmm. what everyone said, it was very much, they enjoyed being with each other. They really respected each other. Unfortunately, after a while, it can become, you know, Lou had said they kind of became more like roommates after a few years and they just kind of grew apart and that happens like I don't think there was any animosity it was just like eh, okay we're kind of done right yeah that's definitely how it seemed I think it's really funny that Lou didn't know who she was I love that doesn't I that do make too. it better right yes yeah and it is the cute it's a meet cute I mean it's mm-hmm. adorable so <laughs> yeah it was so sweet yeah Lou also said that she Miss Cleo had a dream a frequent dream about an elderly woman who was sitting in a chair like far away and it's foggy and she can't really see her. But as she walks closer to her, this woman is like, nope, what are you doing here? You're not supposed to be here yet. So I think that was kind of foreshadowing on Cleo's part that she was getting ready to pass because she had cancer that she didn't really tell anyone about or mm-hmm. a lot of her friends about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she went to the Bahamas on a, like a last trip, a last hurrah, but couldn't even stay the entire time, had to come back because mm-hmm. she was sick. She called Lou to say goodbye before she went to hospice. That broke my heart. Ugh. But all of her friends uh, went to the hospital. Her godsons were driving down when Andy was like, nope, turn around. I don't want you to see her like this. I don't want this to be your last memory of her. But she was with friends. They were all able to go see her before she mm-hmm. passed. Kind of the resolution of this. Um, Deborah Wilson says, trauma drove her, but you know she really didn't mean to hurt anybody. So they there's a perception that, you know, she was part of something that did hurt somebody, but I don't know that it was directly her doing. So Raven also mentions that as a black woman, she had to make something of herself despite her pain. So again, she crawled up out of whatever pain she had and she triumphed. Yeah. Much to her credit. Mm -hmm. Yes. I like how they said, what was, what she doing performative? Yes. Was she trying to help people? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. She was trying to help people in the way that she knew how to help people. And she probably did help a lot of people regardless of PRN and all that bullshit. You know, she's everyone who knew her, especially in the end said that she had the biggest heart. She loved with her entire person and she was just a gift to have in your life. So 
even Jasmine, who was one of the people from Langston Hughes in Seattle, said, you know, she was able to kind of recon reconcile her memories of Cleo and who she became by understanding that she was a really complex person, as right. we all are. So she might have caused some pain, but she also brought some joy. And mm -hmm. I mean, I hope I am able to do both. I mean, I guess not cause pain, but like, if I did... <laughs> If I did, I mean, I'm sure Listen, I did, you just, know, just ask your kids, you ruined their life. <laughs> the therapy, the therapy they'll all need. Yeah. But I mean, like we can hurt feelings and we can heal feelings and, you know, mm -hmm. I guess it's okay to be remembered for both. Right. And she was, she was a survivor, obviously yeah. she was mm -hmm. doing the best she could and helping people as she knew how along the way. I think she seems like an amazing person and someone who would have been uh, an addition to any friend group, right? She would have just brought so much joy and uniqueness to any occasion. Right. People report being really impacted by her. She was a force and her personality really seems really memorable. And that's quite a legacy. I'm really glad I watched this. The only thing I knew about Miss Cleo was the commercials. I didn't even, I remember a little bit of like this lawsuit with the PR and stuff and with her, but I didn't really remember much of it. And I, I definitely didn't remember that she was released from it. So I think they did a really good job of portraying her as a whole person who's not just one thing. Yeah. Yeah. Think about it. She was only 53. Yeah. I'm almost 53. <laughs> That's terrifying. <laughs> right. That's right. You better hurry up and get your uh, 15 minutes of fame then. Yeah, I'm working on it. Yeah. So, yeah, I uh, I like that, yeah, that she's kind of painted as, a, she's not demonized quite so much in the mm -hmm. end of this. So she had some fulfillment beyond PRN and sort of her fame. Mm -hmm. So that seems really cool. Yep. Yeah, it was really well done. Yeah. Okay. What are we going to do next week, Erin? So next week, we're going to do Devil at the Crossroads. This mm -hmm. is a Netflix one, remastered in 2019. So this is an older story about Robert Johnson, and he was a famous blues guitarist. So yeah, yeah. it's only it's a short one, so 48 minutes. I'm really excited. Yeah. If you don't know the story of Robert Johnson, you need to watch this. I think, first of all, everyone should know the story of Robert Johnson. That's just kind of, aren't you born with that knowledge? I don't know. You should be. I mean, if you're a music fan, right? I mean, this is, I guess maybe it's a a time thing. If you're a blues fan, if you're a classic rock person, I would think that that may have been my introduction. Right. But yeah, it's kind of the story of, <laughs> I mean. I mean. The devil crossroads. Right. The story goes, he sold his soul to the devil to play the best blues music in the world. Mm -hmm. So you watch the documentary and tell us what you think. Did he sell his soul to the right. devil? Mm. I will say he was not as high as I expected on the Rolling Stones top 200 guitarists or whatever. And if you sell like, your soul, you probably should be number one. I'm just saying, right? I mean, yeah. I don't know if anybody else... After him sold their soul, but... Um, it's possible. Yeah, we at least we don't hear about that. So, yep, that'll be a good one. Beyond that, we'll ask you guys to rate, review, and subscribe. You can find us on Instagram at Twitter at GoDocYourself. And mm -hmm. uh, it's, been, it's been good today. Mm -hmm. It has been. All right, everyone. Thanks for joining us. 
Yeah. <laughs> Thanks okay. for joining us. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Later. Bye. It's